1: brought to you by t-shirt.com the go-to provider for all your Tar
0: Heel gear.
2: Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and t-shirt.com I'm your host for this one, John Siegley, joined by Ross Martin and Gregory Hall and Greg Barnes for our weekly On The Beat podcast. We're changing up the names a little bit. We figured that Media Monday since the podcast comes out on Tuesday, it just didn't make a whole, whole lot of sense there. So Welcome to the On The Beat podcast, brand new branding. Let's go ahead and jump right in with thoughts on the Duke game. Greg, we're going to start with you, as is usual. When you were sitting there in Keenan Stadium after the final whistle, could you think of another game in recent memory that had an ending as crazy as that one?
3: <laughs> uh, probably not, just because of the uh, the people in play. I mean, you're talking about Rat who this time last year was playing quarterback, and you talk about a running back trying to jump pass, and that's how the game ended. I mean, I, I think we all have to acknowledge that Duke bailed UNC out in that game uh, with just a, a bad play call there at the end, especially considering that Duke ran the exact same play uh, against Jay Bateman's Army defense a couple of years ago. And... Uh, just just a very poor decision and you know, it wasn't it wasn't great football by any stretch it was you know it was solid at times uh but that was just a massive mistake there's no reason duke should not have won that game and uh the, the fact that the chats rap made the play just speaks to what an incredible story he has become uh, he's he's a kid challenging for all ACC He honors uh at at linebacker which which is just phenomenal so credit to him and credit to unc for for battling, I mean, you, we talked after the first two games that, hey, this is a team that they're actually finishing. They're doing what they need to be doing late to take care of things. And then what happened? Uh, they lost four games uh, at the very end. So it's almost as if, uh-oh, well, here comes 2017, 2018 again, when the guys just forget how to be able to, to finish these games. And it looked like that was going to play out once again with Javante Williams is trying to do too much, fumbles the ball when North Carolina should have been able to put it away, looked just like a, a mirror image of that Virginia tech game last year, where Virginia tech methodically went down the field and scored the game winner. And Duke was in position to win that game, uh, but because of a, a very poor play call uh, by Cutcliffe and a, a great individual effort uh, by Chas Rad and, and good scouting and, and uh, good scheming by Jay Bateman, North Carolina was able to, to steal one there at the end and, uh, now they're they're back in the mix for the Coastal.
2: Yeah, and I think it was also a very big deal that UNC was able to match the intensity of Duke because that was kind of a, a worry going into the game that maybe the Carolina wouldn't be there emotionally. But they really answered the bell when it came to that. Ross, what did you observe during that matchup? And also touch upon the place that UNC finds itself in the Coastal division race right now.
4: Yeah, the crazy game, obviously, as Greg detailed, I was right underneath the goalpost watching that final play when Chaz Stratt intercepted the halfback jump pass. I mean, it was like, like, dang, Duke's going to win this game. They're going to either kick a field goal and force an overtime and have the momentum, or they're going to score right here. They have plenty of time. They're right on the goal line. So like Greg said, I mean, the one thing that could happen for UNC to win happened. Uh, But outside of that incredible play, which they sniffed out perfectly. I mean, I think they battled the whole game. A lot of defenders made key plays. A lot of senior defenders made key plays, and a lot of guys played so much. So, I mean, you're seeing that the the UNC has a lot of high-end talent on defense. That's finally coming to fruition as they get healthy, as they get more comfortable in their positions. You saw Dominic Ross make a lot of plays, in this new kind of hybrid position he's playing. Strobridge had one of his best games, and it kind of all came together there at the end. Javante Williams had a great game. And I mean, this was a game that UNC had to win. I tweeted out earlier at Tommy kind of in jest as I do often is a must win. I honestly thought it was, I think UNC's bowl chances were going to become very, very slim if they did not beat Duke on Saturday. Um, And of course they would have been out of the coastal race pretty much, but they they beat Duke, Virginia lost to Louisville. It it switches up everything with the coastal now with UNC tied with Virginia um, and, and getting the chance to play them this weekend. So, from a, stand, from a fan standpoint, from a player confidence standpoint, for the seniors to get the victory bell, all that was huge. and uh, all kind of came together against Duke. And now it's kind of, you know, win out and you're going to be right there for, for a solid bowl game and right there for a chance to play Clemson if you can win the Coastal. Of course, some other things have to happen, but uh, it just makes the Virginia game huge and uh, a, a great win. Uh, one of those wins where UNC didn't play its best, but made big plays when it mattered, and that's why UNC came out on top.
3: Yeah, and I think it's funny, guys, that when you look at the AP poll that came out today, <laughs> the coastal division got one vote. One. And that's Pittsburgh. Ooh. So I I think <laughs> I think that tells you that there you know, I don't want to say there's a lot of bad football being played. There's not a lot of great football being played and what that means is from week to week you see you know, Duke you beat Virginia Tech 45 to 10 then you see Virginia Tech beat Carolina and then you see Carolina beat Duke and it's just these wide ranges you know Miami looks like world beaters against uh, Virginia and Pitt and then they get embarrassed in some of these other games and lose to Georgia Tech uh, and so i think that adds to the excitement that because you don't have like these really good high-quality teams, but they're all kind of the same, we have no clue how these next couple weeks are going to play out. And we can, we're can we going to you know, prognosticate and we're going to give our predictions and we've been wrong all season. We're going to continue to be wrong because we just have no idea how these things are going to play out.
4: Another A- C- thing. Go, ahead, go ahead, Gregory.
1: ACC football's Twitter account tweeted out that there are 16 football games involving coastal teams remaining. There are 65,536 possible end of season standings <laughs> resulting as of today 65,000 wow. so yeah we have no idea what's going to happen as much as we predict and say that we
4: think is going to happen so keep that yeah, it, keep that in mind listeners and the game against Virginia I think UNC Open is maybe like a 2.5 point favorite at home so every game is, is, isn't that like 2 to 4 point range in terms of spreads and I think it'll be the same way at Pittsburgh and probably I think UNC will have a little bit of a advantage against NC State but not by very much cuz that game is in Raleigh. Another note, man, that Phil Longo said today was um I mean UNC was in such prime position to to go ahead and score and get a 10-point win. So they did have control of that game until they fumbled. They could have scored there. They were at first down I think on the 3-yard line before that weird jump over the the um the, the offensive line there from the five yard line. And so they could have won by they should have won by 10 right there and put him away, but of course they they made it more interesting. Duke drove the field and uh you know, fans were nervous and then what happened happened unc won. In his press conference, Mac Brown really seemed like he
2: was just kind of I don't I don't want to say glad to have escaped, but there seemed to be reading between the lines there a notion that he was just grateful that his team was able to get the win. He called out a few players in particular as being kind of key components of that as well. Gregory, when you were listening to the press conference itself, who did you hear Mac Brown give shout outs to?
1: He talked a lot about Javante Williams. And as as Ross just mentioned, Javante did have that kind of questionable leap from the five yard line. Um, but other than that, he he graded out. He graded out excellent. Um, he was the second highest grade on the offense behind Daz Newsom, who had some incredible catches. Um, he's another one that he got some praise from uh from Phil Longo today. But Javante Williams had a career long forty yard rush. Uh, he had over a hundred yards again. Um, the running back group as a whole. Had uh, something like 881 yards after contact, and Javante averaged like four and a half yards after contact per rush. Um, so he's consistently been one of the best one of the best backs for UNC. Obviously, him and Michael Carter um, have been excellent. Antonio Williams uh, had some work uh, against Duke on Saturday, um, and then kind of on the defensive side, Jay Bateman has been high on Jason Strobridge all year. Um, And he had, he had his best game against Duke, um, especially in the run defense. Uh, He came up with six defensive stops, um, which was second behind Jeremiah Gimmel, who also had a great game. Um, He had no, he didn't have any missed tackles. Uh, He was credited with, with two sacks. So, defensively Chaz Surratt obviously with the uh with the interception and the linebacker group in general got a lot of praise from uh from Jay Bateman um Dominic Ross was put in a role to where he's kind of doing everything um where run defense um pressuring coverage uh he was targeted four separate times and all of those were completions but He's still an in allowed in a NFL passer rating of seventy six. So he still had a great day in coverage, going from nickel uh, to outside linebacker to inside linebacker, just kind of just kind of doing it all. Um, so th- those are the guys that were were talked about in the presser today about about who stood out, and people can agree that that's what that's what they saw in the field as well.
4: Yeah, and to add uh, quickly here, you know, Javante and the running backs have had good games recently and especially against Duke because the offensive line is coming together, especially on, on, on run, uh, blocking. And they've get to the second level to allow some bigger runs some explosive running plays. So, you know, this, I believe the offensive line has taken a lot of, um, hits here in the, in the lead up to, to these games, but I think they're coming together. Brian Anderson, I believe is grading out a little bit better. They're getting better play from their tackles and guards. And with the possibility of Nick Polino coming back, And we'll get into injury updates later. Um, the, the The offensive line is looking better and better. Um, And there's tons more to talk about on the the defense side of the ball. But Gregory hit most of the key players that were – just had really good, you know, big plays on defense. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about the injury stuff later on
2: because there was some good news today during the press conference, but let's take a quick moment to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com They are your place to go for Carolina gear. Also, keep in mind that later on in the podcast, we will be giving away this week's code for the pair of tickets that you can use You can enter at on the TarPit Premium Message Board, sit next to Tommy and Buck. So again, that entry information will be given later on But as I said, Giant T-Shirt, they are your place to go. If you are going to be on Franklin Street for one of the last remaining home football games or for one of the upcoming basketball games, make sure that you swing by their location there where they have been in business for decades. They are an absolute icon there on Franklin Street. They have the very best customer service. They have an unparalleled selection. You can find anything you need for the Tar Heel fan in your family. And if you can't make it to Chapel Hill, you can always shop at t-shirt.com. You can still enjoy the same great selection. It's also fall weather, so you can go by and pick up your up a jacket maybe a sweatshirt something along those lines and if you are a subscriber to inside carolina you can get 10 percent off of your order you can get that code either at the tar pit premium message board or at the premium basketball message board that's 10 off of your order either there at giant shirtcom or at their location on franklin street again giant t-shirt giant shirtcom your place to go for carolina gear All right, so let's go ahead and talk about the depth issues because, Greg, it was something that the coaches have alluded to a few times here. Strobridge and Crawford have been really manning that interior spot for more snaps than I think what is normal on a defense at the college level. When you're looking at the depth chart right now and just how much some of these guys are playing, does that give you any potential cause for caution going into this matchup against Virginia?
3: Well, I think it's really just a matter of of trying to manage uh, your depth concerns as best you can. I think the good thing for North Carolina is that you have another bye week next week. Uh, but that doesn't help you Saturday. Uh, and, I mean, yeah, I, I think the depth is a significant issue. Because if you look at, look at the game last weekend, North Carolina played 17 players on defense. Uh, six of those players played fewer than 10 snaps. So now you're talking about it was 11 guys playing, you know, 74 more snaps in that game. Uh, and so you, I think what what you're seeing is that Mac Brown and his staff are really uh, trying to get some of the backups, a lot of reps during the week, taking some stress off the starters because they are having to work so hard. And you've got to be uh, top notch in terms of your rest and recovery. Uh, got to make sure you do everything to the nth degree in terms of cold bass and massages and everything you can do, getting your sleep, eating. And that's really about all you can do because you have to have these guys play. And in a perfect world, North Carolina would either be getting blown out or I guess in a perfect world, North Carolina would be blowing teams out, right? Uh, And in those situations, every play doesn't mean quite as much because you're winning by however many. And therefore, you can get some guys into the game. And if they mess up, that's okay. It's not a big deal because you're winning by 28. North Carolina has not been in that situation, and I think instead of trying to steal snaps, Jay Bateman said, "You know what? We're going to go with the guys that that we can rely on. Um, we had hoped that certain players on the the second team had developed enough and have proven that they can you know, consistently give us good effort and production, and that just hasn't happened. And I think we're we're so far into the season now. I mean, we're talking about a game that's going to kick off in November, so we're eight games in." This team is who it is. And now once you get some of these guys back, that's going to help. Uh, but I think a guy like DeAndre Hollins, for example, thought he did pretty well uh, against, against Duke. Now, Duke, by no stretch of the imagination, has a great offense. So that helps. Uh, but I think when you know, Trey Morrison, when, when he comes back, uh, DeAndre Hollins, th- those snaps that he got are going to be gone. And all those are probably going to go to Trey Morrison. So uh, you just kind of – at this point in time, you just kind of roll with who you've got. You try to take care of, as, care of them as best you can. Utilize the bye week next week, and uh, try to try to finish strong.
4: Yeah, let me dive in here real quick, John. Um, it's kind of crazy how the depth on defense has gotten slimmer by design. I believe maybe a little bit because of injuries, but on in the front seven by design, as Greg noted, and that's kind of like basketball when they when the time of February and March comes. Roy Williams you know, really slims down that rotation and it gives the best players and trusts them and lets them go out there and play long minutes and go out and win games. That's what Jay Bateman's been doing. One thing I thought about yesterday, writing up some stuff, was it's crazy how entering the season, linebackers was the big question mark. You had young guys like uh, Gimmel, you know, Chad Stratt hadn't played much, uh, you know, Matthew Flint and, and the true freshmen. You never know what they're going to bring. You know, Flint got injured. The true freshman hadn't played much at all. And Dominic Ross steps in. And with Ross, Gimmel, and Stratt, you know, you have a, one of the best linebacker groups in the ACC. Maybe not the best, but, you know, a, a top group that is making plays and, and being a really reliable playmaking defense. That's It's getting better each game. I think that's important to note that, yeah, it goes into coaching, it goes into players you know, adapting to the coaching and really working on what they need to work on and game planning and putting them in positions to make plays. And that's important to note that a, a concern we had earlier in August and September, now in October, heading into November, it's become a strength of this team. Gregory, looking at where the
2: Heels are right now in relation to probably where they were after the first four games of the season, how do you think they are doing as a whole at this point in Mac Brown 2.0? Well,
1: the Mac's been asked the question, I guess. He was asked it last week and uh, after the Saturday game about what's it like to be playing meaningful football late October heading into November. Um, And it's right. I mean. There were questions about Matt coming in, the higher fans were questioning it. Media members were questioning it. Um, and like we've said before, Mac's done exactly what he's kind of said that he was going to do. Um, UNC's here sitting at four and four uh, with a shot at the coastal because they, and the only reason they have a shot at the coastal is because they got it done against Duke on Saturday. Um, when that turnover happened on Saturday. Javante Williams fumbled that ball. Duke started driving. Everybody, including Mac, kind of had flashbacks to last year with Virginia Tech. Um, we we're like, "Oh no! Like here it goes again." But Mac, Mac Mac said today, when the offense ran off the field, he saw glimpses of Virginia. When the defense ran onto the field, they made a play to win that they didn't make last year. And I think that kind of speaks to where this team is now. And earlier in the season, when they were on the losing stretch and they were losing four out, of, uh, four out of five, Mac was talking about how the offense needs to play a complete game. The defense needs to play a complete game. The offense and defense need to play together. Um, they're, still, they're still not quite playing together, but the defense had three turnovers uh, on Saturday, two forced fumbles. That's four fumbles in two games. Um, when they only had one in all the other games. And then like the talk today was that now moving on, learning how to win is about extra preparation and knowing your opponent more. And I think that speaks to the that the ability of the team, both on offense and defense, is there to win. Um, they've put in the effort. Uh, the coaching staff has seen that their, the talent and the ability that this team has, they can win these games. They can win out. They have the potential, but it's about preparation and playing together, which I think is something that the not that fans and didn't necessarily think that this team was going to have at this point in the season. And at this point in Mac Brown's tenure. So I think that's where they're at. They have the capability of winning. It's just about preparation and focus and being able to win is where they're
2: at. All right, let's go ahead and turn to the injury news because there was a lot of that today as well. Ross, what was covered in the press conference
4: on that front? Great question, John. Um, yeah, so actually some big news. Four players are going to be practicing starting Tuesday for UNC. That's safety Miles Wolfork, cornerback Trey Morrison, offensive lineman Nick Polino, and backup quarterback Jace Reuter. Now, in speaking with Matt Brown and Jay Bateman and Phil Longo, it seems that Woolfolk is going to be the guy they can count on uh, on Saturday. He's going to be able to come in some. And if everything goes well in practice, uh, he'll be the one out of those four that's most likely to contribute. So they're going to monitor all four players during practice. You, you don't know how they're going to adapt in terms of conditioning, in terms of planting their feet, running, taking hits. So they're easing them back in practice this week all four of those guys. And it seems like they're going to give them each a shot to go. Um, but it did seem like Morris is going to take a little while longer. He had surgery on an arm, I believe. And, of course, Polino was in a walking boot a, a couple of weeks ago as well. So these guys have really progressed. But, um, you know, getting Wolfwick back will be huge for the secondary. DJ Ford has been playing there, and he kind of moved from the nickelback spot. Of course, Polino, you had Brian Anderson take over at center. Um and Polina could you know provide depth at center and guard and Trey Morrison was UNC's number one corner after Patrice Renee went down and the defensive backs have taken a huge hit with a bunch of other injuries including Storm Duck who went out in the first uh play of the game against Duke and he's being monitored as well this week they have not ruled him out for Saturday but Storm Duck is a guy who's i guess in um Someone there they're going to monitor uh, this whole week leading up to the game. So all four of those guys and Storm Duck are going to be kind of game time decisions, it seems. But I would expect Wolfram to play. Um, Greg, a lot of stuff there. You know, What do you think this means for UNC? I think it's interesting that, you know, there's four games left, potentially AC championship game and a bowl game. So a lot more to play for. And these are three big time stars that could be playing um, in, in a week, if not two weeks.
3: Yeah, for sure, and I think the, the opportunity to get you know, a, a very good cornerback uh, is, is important, and then a safety as well, because as we've talked about before, Miles Dorn is really kind of, I don't want to say babysitter, but he's kind of been the guy that to keep that whole group corralled and make sure they're doing the right thing, uh, and that's been a challenge. And so what Jay Bateman, uh, give him a lot of credit, he's schemed very well, but if he doesn't have Jason Strobridge or Aaron Crawford up front, a lot of things could be going wrong uh, because he's had to really protect the guys on the back end. You get Wolfhook and Morrison back now. You can start mixing some things up. Now you can start sending some more exotic blitzes. You know, early in the year we saw a lot of safety blitzes. We saw a lot, a lot of unique pressures. We haven't seen that recently, and there's a reason for that because you you've got to have guys that you can trust to be able to do that. And they they don't want to allow you know, uh, you know Greg Ross for example, or especially DeAndre Hollins to be stuck on a corner against a, a decent wide receiver. In North Carolina, as I said earlier, they, they really got lucky with Duke because Duke doesn't really have great wide receivers. They don't have a good passing game. And so that was kind of ideal. Um, Bryce Perkins is a different animal. And so having some veteran, really talented guys in the secondary, potentially back, that's going to help out a lot. In terms of Nick Polino, um, I mean, when you look at the, the pro football focus uh, run grades, the biggest issue has consistently been at left guard, and they've rotated a Zudu. They've rotated a Montulus in there, and neither of those guys have been great in the run game. Uh, that's kind of been a consistent issue. They've been pretty good in pass block, uh, but you can kind of get covered up a little bit uh, when you're there in between the, the center and tackle, and that can help you in pass block. You, you've got to be a road grader uh, to, to be able to run the ball, and I think people will say, "Well, you know, North Carolina had a lot of success running the ball. They did, but the reason why is because." Javante Williams and Michael Carter and Antonio Williams are doing the bulk of their work after contact they are earning their yards. They're running people over. It's not because like if you go back to 2015, it looked like Elijah hood was running free. As soon as he touched the ball and nobody touched him, we haven't seen that much at all. So credit the running backs for doing a very good job. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons you'll see Polino likely at guard because Anderson has come along, but if you can stick Nick Polino there at left guard, now, all of a sudden, you've got a guy in there that's a veteran, he's strong, he can pull successfully for you, and it gives you more of a, a balanced run game, which, as we know, that helps with play-action pass. That gives Sam Howell a little bit more time. Maybe instead of having so many third and longs, you're having third and short, third medium, and that opens up the playbook. So I think Polino's probably the, the biggest piece of the puzzle, uh, but certainly getting those safeties back and, and Trey Morrison is, is uh, crucial as well.
2: Mike Ingersoll has commented on how much development Anderson has undergone at the center position as well. He's had some praise for him and his level of play over these last few games. So Greg, I think that that jives very well with what you're saying about where Polino could fit in. Probably it's not what a lot of fans expected after seeing Anderson in the first few games, but overall, I mean, it's a big boost to the offensive line that he's not immediately needed to return to the center position.
3: Yeah, and, I, and Ross and I were talking about this earlier uh, with, with Jeremy Sharp, uh, who's in charge of communications for UNC. But I think people—they're so quick to jump and jump on guys and criticize them, especially along the lines, both offensive and defensive. I mean, it is—it is physical down there. It is tough, and you got to be smart. And Anderson just had not played any, but now he's—he's he's actually getting some reps. He's having some success. He's building that confidence. He's understanding what the guys beside him are trying to do. And so he's progressed. You know, we were talking about William Barnes. I mean, people, you, where's William Barnes? He was this four-star kid. I mean, he's like a redshirt freshman. I mean, come on. I mean, it's going to take him a while to get, to utilize his talents and to figure out how to adjust to the college game and how he can fit in. And so I think, you know, Barnes likely will be a guy that you can see in another year or two really pay dividends. But you got to get their feet wet. you got to give them opportunities. And anytime you can bring back a guy like Nick Polino, I think having Polino back, especially if he's at guard, that will further help Anderson. Because now he's got a guy that can elbow him and be like, hey, look, pay attention to this. Look what this uh, nose tackle's doing. Look what that linebacker's doing. And that's how Brian Anderson will continue to get better. That's why I really think if if Polino's able to come back and finish the season at one of the guard spots, I think you'll see Brian Anderson's uh, grades continue to tick up for that reason.
4: Yeah, I mean, to kind of add to that, I always love when Greg drops a come on to the message board. But yeah, I mean, I I talked with Brian Chakos, who played six years in the offensive line for UNC recently. He says, you know, these guys, no matter where they're ranked, they shouldn't really be playing until their third year at the earliest. And that's when you've had three seasons in the off-season conditioning program and, and weight training program. You've learned for, for two seasons. You've, you've been in tape review for two seasons. And by your third year, you should be able to compete for a job. And even then, you have the opportunity to, uh, you know, compete with veterans and seniors. So if there is a spot, you know, you may be able to step into there, but you still have to beat out maybe a guy who's older as well. So, yeah, William Barnes, you know, some freshmen who haven't played any, um, these redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores. I mean, they'll get their chance. Uh, it's just a process. You can't just step in like some of these um, – running backs and wide receivers where physicality isn't at the same level. Um, there's a certain amount of strength and, you know, intellect and, and understanding of the, the game and the process that's necessary to play. One more note. You know, I just think that getting Nick Polino back no matter where he plays is going to be solid for, for creating depth. Cause now you have seven offensive linemen who can, who can play. Um, you can mix them in at, at the guard spots. You could give Brian Harrison a break. You know, these players do need rest sometimes, So he could rotate um, at different points in the game, maybe to both guard spots. You know, obviously that's a little bit more difficult. But uh, having seven offensive linemen has been the goal. So if Toledo comes back, you know, he can kind of, you'll have more flexibility with who plays where and have a little depth to relieve some people as we get into this last stretch of games. All right, guys, great stuff. Let's take our last quick commercial break, and
2: when we get back, let's wrap up the podcast by talking about the upcoming game against the Virginia Cavaliers. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: Hey, and we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Ross Martin, Gregory Hall, and Greg Barnes. All right, Ross and Greg, you guys have been hogging the mic for the last 10, 15 minutes here. So I'm going to let Gregory Hall get his piece in. And Gregory, just feel free to to ramble here as much as you want. I'll just mute Greg and Ross, and you can say whatever you want to say about Virginia. What really sticks out to you about this one?
1: Uh, well, well, I appreciate I appreciate that, John. So here's here's what I've got on Virginia. They are a defensive-minded team. When you look at their offense, it's run solely through Bryce Perkins. Uh, He was a large issue for UNC's defense last year. But you look at um, some offensive ranks and stats for Virginia in the ACC, uh, they're second to last in the conference with just 3.3 yards per carry. Um, and then you look at passing game, they're 10th in the conference with 6.6 yards per pass attempt. Um, so if UNC's defense can play as stoutly as they did against Duke and as stoutly as they did against Clemson, which uh, Jay Bateman and Mac both said, the Duke game and the Clemson game were UNC's defense's two best games, um, then Bryce Perkins might not that be as much of an issue if they can play up to standard and kind of keep Virginia's offense playing as they've played all season, which has been pretty mediocre. As far as defense goes, they're one of the best in the ACC and one of the best in the nation. Um, They are 16th in the country with allowing only 3.1 yards per carry. So Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Antonio Williams will have their work cut out for them. And most of that for Virginia is coming on the edge. Max said today that their outside linebackers are two of the best in the country. And then uh, Phil Longo mentioned their edge rushers. And those guys have graded out consistently the best on um, Bronco Mendenhall's defense. And then they're also, their passing defense is even better than their rush defense. They're 10th in the nation with only allowing 169 yards per game. So if basically, Phil Longo's two options as far as whether you can attack the run game or you can attack with passing game. Virginia's good at both. So it keeping it balanced, if Phil Longo wants Sam to throw it out, that's going to be contested. If he wants to pu- punish the trenches and try and dominate with, off, with the offensive line, that's going to be difficult because UVA is just so stout on defense, they don't really have any weaknesses throughout their 11 players. And then what I think is special with UVA, which was brought up today, is Joe Reed on kickoff returns. Uh, UVA has eight 30-plus yard returns, five 40-plus yard returns, four 50-plus yard returns, and they're the only team in the ACC with two 90-plus yard kickoff returns. Uh, So Jonathan Kim, who has been tabbed as the kickoff specialist for uh, UNC, is basically his main job and really his only job that Mac wants him to succeed at against UVA is kicking it out the back of the end zone. Because if Joe Reed gets the ball in his hands, he's one of the best in the country at finding space, taking advantage of the tiniest holes and getting past the 25 yard line and even further and setting up UVA on their offense because their offensive stats aren't great. But their they're they're, they're fifth or sixth in the ACC with scoring 30 yards per game. And most of that is field position. So I think field position is going to be very important with the, the field position battle between UVA and UNC on Saturday because UVA's red zone defense is probably their only weakness. I just said that they didn't have any weaknesses, but looking at it, that's probably one of their only weaknesses because in, tw- in teams having 20 attempts in the red zone, they've scored 14 touchdowns. That's that touchdown percentage is second to last in the ACC. So if UNC can get in the red zone, they should be able to take advantage and score touchdowns as far as selling for field goals. But if not, that's where UVA's defense is extremely stout and vice versa. UVA's offense is excellent in the red zone, but getting to the red zone without using a long kickoff return, not so great. Um, So I think that's the main battle this past weekend. It was turnovers. This weekend's going to be a field position, so that's what uh that's what I got on UVA.
2: Good job, Mister Gregory Hall. Just it warms my heart to see the interns just lay out the knowledge like that. Greg, is that you just sharing your stats? Because normally you're the guy that's like spitting out just where the the teams rank in the ACC and, and knows that stuff off the top of your head.
3: No, but uh, Gregory does a heck of a job, and he we gave him uh, access to our pro football focus um database and he's just absorbed it so um next next is getting Ross on board with all the uh, stat crunching we will be good to go
2: Ross is too busy doing the the dating shows on WCHL <laughs> that show is uh is not active anymore ah oh, dang all right guys let's go ahead and get Greg's perspective though because Greg you mentioned one thing earlier on in the podcast about the UVA offense And really, you talked about their quarterback, Bryce Perkins. And the only other guy that they have that UNC probably needs to take special care of is their wide receiver, Dubois. And that matchup specifically with the, the cornerbacks, how do you see that playing out in this one?
3: Well, it's going to be a critical component because what you have to do, let's go back to Duke for a minute. Quentin Harris was really Duke's offense. And if he was able to get out and run, the North Carolina was going to struggle a lot more than they did. But because of Jay Bateman's scheme, and they really didn't use a spy, uh, he just threw a bunch of different looks at them. And so what happens is, is Harris is you know, looking pre-snap, and then he snaps the ball, and he's getting different looks. So you know, maybe a, a typical quarterback would look at a, a typical defense and say, okay, well, in this, this formation over here between the, the right guard and right tackle, I should have a hole there because I've had a hole there like three times in a row. Well, Bateman mixed things up so much that that didn't happen. And uh, that was one of the reasons that Quentin Harris had no success running the ball. Bryce Perkins is, is much more agile. Uh, He's a better thrower for one, but he's, he's, he's faster. He's kind of more of a weapon. And what you're going to see, I think, is you're going to see, especially if they get the safety and cornerback back, uh, you're going to see some more aggressive looks and there may be some opportunities where uh, you you get some one-on-one matchups down the field, and those are important for North Carolina to win because Virginia, as you said, they do have a really good wide receiver. They've got some good skill position players, and they're also very physical up front. So they can give Perkins some time uh, to throw the ball. As North Carolina is trying to get pressure on him, he's going to have some opportunities, and that's where it comes down. If you can win those 50-50 balls more times than not, uh, some of those plays are going to play out for you. If Perkins is able to hit on some of those plays and get some explosive plays, that's when North Carolina is going to have some problems because that defense is so good, it's going to be tough for, uh, for UNC to uh, kind of bounce back. That, that was the big thing for me in the Duke game. Sam Howe did not have a, a great day, but he had two big opportunities, and he hit on both of them. Uh, the 47-yarder to Daz Newsom, which is an incredible uh, pitch and catch, and then the throw to Bo Kralis. I mean, that was a perfect pass. And because he got time on just a couple plays, he was able to capitalize. If North Carolina doesn't hit on those two plays, we're probably having a different conversation. So you've got to take advantage of those opportunities when they come. And that goes for both both sides of the, of the field for, for this one on Saturday night.
2: And then Saturday night, it is going to be another late kickoff for UNC. Still have not had a noon kickoff for the entire year. And this one's going to be on ESPN 730. So, Ross, when it's going to be a game – You know, in the spotlight, under the lights, there, the UNC crowd—they need to be a big part of this game. So far, the Tar Heel faithful have shown out, but how do you think that they will respond this Saturday?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's been some incredible crowds, uh, especially against Duke. Um, It was very loud on there. I went down to the field level about five minutes left with Gregory, and I mean, it's it's noticeably louder than you know in recent years and. I think the fans are loving these exciting games. They're riding the momentum of a team they know they can count on to be there at the end. And they're getting, you know, they can they feel like this team can win. And they're, they're kind of very building off the optimism of what Mac Brown's brought back. Um, you know, 730 kickoff, you would think it's going to be even more packed than the Duke game was and packed earlier. It's going to be dark. It's going to be loud. It's going to be huge to disrupt. Um, what Virginia's offense is doing. But it's been incredible with the crowd this year. It's, it just shows you what UNC fans can really do when they have a winner to get behind. Um, the number of fans are there. And if the team is winning, there's a chance to win, the weather's nice, uh, you're going to see keen impact. And if they keep winning and getting recruits, uh, I think this will continue through uh, this year, of course, and into 2020. So, I mean, it, it's it's really cool to see it. You know, we don't really hear it in the press box. and So getting down there was was shocking how loud it was and because UNC has been there in every game late, uh, Clemson game, Duke game, App State, Miami. It's been really fun for fans. and They're feeding off that. And it's been huge. Ross, in, in recent years, and specifically last year for that, that last game with NC State, a lot
1: of their fans traveled over to Keenan. Do you think it'll be the opposite effect this year with the excitement around Mac and Making the trip over to Carter Fenley, do you
4: think it'll be a lot of blue? Yeah, it's a great question, Gregory. I mean, that, that's always tough because it's always Thanksgiving weekend. Um, but I, yeah, I think those there's definitely this game is going to mean a lot for both programs. I'm in a group chat with uh, all NC State grads. It's very active. It's about twelve of us. I'm the only UNC grad. There's a couple app grads too, but it's majority NC State fans. And there's just no excitement around NC State football right now. They don't have a quarterback. Uh, it's just not exciting because they kind of know that they're going to go in. They're going to get beat in a lot of these these big games and so there's no hype around NC State I think the game against NC state in Raleigh for UNC will be very important so and it's in Raleigh there's tons UNC fans so yes I think it'll be a, a lot more UNC fans than we would normally expect for such a game because of how close it is because of what it means that's to be cool to see as well as NC State's kind of season gradually goes downhill and UNC I believe is kind of on the rise here after the big win over the blue devils well they're on the
2: rise but this game against virginia is just like the new game in that the rest of the season is kind of determined by this one if you lose this game it's still going to be tough to, to get to six and six even but if you win you know unc may be the coastal
4: favorite at that point even with the matchup at pitt and at nc state yeah, I mean, I think that four wins now, and you have four games left. I think uh, winning, winning two of the next four is very doable to get to six. I think now you're looking at, at maybe winning three of the next four, if not four of the next four, which I think is possible the way UNC's playing with the way Sam Howell's playing, the defense is playing. But uh, Virginia will be very tough. Pitt will be tough. And I think State is the most winnable game of that group. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and call this one
2: to an end. Greg had to leave out already, unfortunately. But before we do leave, I do want to go ahead and give out the code for the IC ticket giveaway. Again, this is a giveaway for two tickets. You can sit right next to Mr. Buck Sanders himself, very close to Tommy as well. The giveaway runs until 10 p.m. on Tuesday. So when you are listening to this, make sure that you head over to the tar pit message boards and enter the code ASAP. This week, it's going to be 1892-1892, the very first year that UNC and UVA ever played against each other. So again, make sure that you get that entered in before 10 p.m. on Tuesday, 1892. That's your code. Guys, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, and we'll speak again next week.
4: All right, see you, John. Bye, John.
1: Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com where to go
0: for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner.
2: Why are they keeping you here?
0: Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.